Good morning, church. God's word to us this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We've been in 1 John since 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We are making our trek through the book. It's been wonderful and enlightening and convicting, I hope. And today is no different. 1 John chapter 4, starting verse 7. The misunderstood, underestimated love of God. The misunderstood, underestimated love of God. Now, my wife, Jennifer, will tell you, if ever there was an expert at misunderstanding love, it would be me. And I'm serious about this, right? I cannot tell you how many times I have been woefully unromantic and ignorant as to what was romantic or embarrassed myself or put my foot in my mouth. And before Jennifer, I had absolutely no clue. And after God has blessed me with my wife, I still have absolutely no clue. But at least I have someone there to tell me when I'm being like that now. Perhaps this is why I find it so easy to believe in the unmerited grace of God. He gave me her. I don't know how I ended up with her, but I did. But God's love, God's love is widely misunderstood. As much as we, guys like me, misunderstand romantic love, God's love is widely, widely misunderstood. And it's also underestimated. Underestimated. The world's idea of love is actually too weak. The world's idea of love is not strong enough. The love of God is much stronger, deeper, and costly than any form of love the world has to offer. So I want to take our passage this morning and see what God has to say to us about this topic. Let's read it. We're going verse 7 all the way through verse 21 today, so stay with me. But the, the theme of this whole section is, is got a, a unity to it. God says to us, the Apostle John says to us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit." And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, 
For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, a few things that I want to take out of this. Here's where we're going this morning. Here's a roadmap this morning mentally. We're going to look at God is love. That famous phrase, God is love. What does it mean? What does it really mean to know that God is love? But once we look at that as an overarching theme, then we're going to look at our love for one another and God's love for us in succession. Our love for one another and God's love for us. But first, let's look at God is love. What does that mean? John says it twice. Verse 8, God is love. Verse 16, God is love. What does it mean that God is love? Well, this isn't an exact analogy, but it's kind of like me saying, I am a male. All right? That's part of who I am. It's part of the essence of, of my being. Right? You can't separate that from me, as much as anybody might suggest that you could. You cannot separate the fact that I am a male, and that's part of who I am. Right? In the same way, God is love. It's not just that he loves. He is love. It's part of the essence of his nature, that he is love. But we also need to think about the fact that so many people have twisted God is love into something that it was never intended to be. And so, for instance, saying that God is love does not mean that God is only love. It does not mean that God is only love. Just like me saying I'm a male doesn't mean that defines every single thing about me. Right? God is love, yes, but he is other things as well. We're going to look at some of the other things that the New Testament says about God here in just a second. But it doesn't mean he's only love. It does not mean God is unconcerned with sin. We'll see at the end of our time together this morning, in fact, it means the opposite. It does not mean we live however we want and God will approve. It does not mean God is different today than he was in the Old Testament, which is one thing that you hear ever so often. God is love. In the Old Testament, God was justice. Right? God was the judge. Now God is love. Well, in Malachi 3.6, God himself says, I, the Lord, do not change. In fact, when you think about it, when you just stop and think, it's impossible for God to change. He can never improve. He can never become worse at any part of anything that he does. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, God is love. Now, like I said before, this is not the only time in the New Testament where it says God is something, right? Every now and then you might hear someone say, God is love, and that's the only place in the Bible where it says God is something. Not true. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there's a few places where it says God is something. So, for instance, John 4, 24, God is spirit. God is spirit, right? You can contrast that to God being flesh, God is not flesh, he is spirit, right? We can't see God, can't touch God, he's a spirit. In that conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John 4, he was telling her that God is not limited by space and time. 
God can be everywhere and anywhere, right? So we don't have to go to one particular location to worship Him. But in 1 John 1.5, the first chapter of the book we've been studying, John says God is light. God is light. And what does that mean? Well, He reveals truth and He exposes evil. God is light. In Hebrews 12.29, it tells us God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. He consumes sin. And so we cannot stop with God is love and say that that is all there is to say about God and His nature. It's not the only time the New Testament says God is something. Now we, human beings, mankind, we have taken God is love and we have turned it completely upside down. Completely upside down in today's culture. Right? Do not make the mistake that so many in our culture make, of making a God in your own image. This is the first way we've turned this upside down. In Genesis 1, it says God created man and woman in His own image. He created us. You have been created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God as you walk on this earth. Even non-Christians are image bearers of God because He created every single one of us, human beings, as opposed to animals or any other part of creation, human beings are created in the image of God. And yet, what has mankind done? We have flipped that. We've turned it exactly upside down. And we start to create a God in our own image. What do we do? We define love with our feelings or with our own concept of whatever we believe love should be. And then we superimpose that on God. That's what the culture is doing today. They define love themselves, we define love however we want, and we superimpose that on God. And then we say, see, God is love, so He has to be like this. But we've started from the wrong place. We've flipped this upside down. Now, not only have we flipped that upside down, we flipped the very phrase upside down. God is love has been turned into love is God. You see what I'm saying? Our culture worships love. It's become their God. And so anything done in the name of love cannot be questioned. And if you question anyone who is doing something in the name of love, their idea of love, well, then you are ostracized. You are outed. You will be punished for that. Any attack on our idea of love is tantamount to treason. If you've got a different idea of love than the culture and you call them out on that, they're going to come after you, especially if you're a florist or a cake baker refusing to participate in a celebration of something that you do not believe is love. We have flipped it upside down. An author that I've benefited from, his name is Jonathan Lehman, he wrote this. He said, we assume not that God is love, but that love is God. In other words, we don't go before the real creator of the universe and say to him, please tell us what you are like and therefore how you define love. Rather, we begin with our own self-defined concept of love and allow this self-defined concept to play God. And when I say it plays God, I mean that we let it define right and wrong, good and bad. Love becomes the ultimate idol. And friends, we see this all over the place. But verse 7 tells us, look at verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, love is from God. Let us love one another, for love is from God. That's where we get love 
from. Now look at verse 10. Look at verse 10 one more time with me. We're going to return to verse 10 multiple times this morning, but it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which uses that word propitiation. It's a word we often don't use in our everyday conversation. I don't know if we ever use the word propitiation in our everyday conversation, but here's what it means. We've talked about this before in 1 John 2. Propitiation is the idea that Jesus took the wrath of God that was coming toward us on himself. Jesus is like a lightning rod, where the lightning is coming down, bearing down for us, and yet he turns it aside and takes it himself. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes the punishment that was directed toward us, that I should have rightly received, and he takes it for himself. That's what propitiation means. And so verse 10 is saying, this is love. God punishes his own son for those who have wronged him. That's love. That's a deeper love than the world has ever known. That's a deeper love than you will find anywhere in our culture. God punishes his own son for those who have wronged him. This is love. One illustration from the Bible we see the beautiful picture of the self-sacrificing love of God when you have been wronged is in the book of Hosea. This minor prophet of a book in the Old Testament, God calls Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute, to marry a woman of the street, to marry a woman who has been with many, many, many other men. And Hosea obediently does. And then, and God knew this would happen, then his wife, her name is Gomer, she cheats on him with other men after they are married. And then God says, Hosea, now I want you to go buy her back. And I want you to give her your love again. Do you see what God's calling Hosea to do there? He's calling Hosea to be a picture of his love for us. A picture of his self-sacrificing love for us. A picture of how he absorbs the pain of being turned away from time and time again, of being cheated on with other idols, with other gods, time and time again, and yet he still comes after us. It's a beautiful picture of what love really is. And so do you see this morning how God's love has been misunderstood and underestimated to such a degree that many people have no idea anymore what love really is? This amazing love of God. Now let's talk about our love for others because the passage has a lot to say, in fact, about our love for others. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, it talks about how love is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And then we go down to verse 19. It says, we love because He first loved us. And so what we learn here is our love for others is a product of God's love for us. Our love for others, the only way we can truly love others, is because God has first loved us. Our love for each other is a product of God's love for us. And so, the question then comes, how does God love us? And that should inform how we love one another. What can we learn about the way God loves me, so that I can better love others the way that God has loved? Well, how did God love us? He absorbed 
the punishment for our sins in Christ. In Christ, God absorbs the punishment for our sins. And so, as we interact with others, as we love one another, we should be absorbing pain. We should be absorbing burdens. Our love for one another should be an absorbing kind of love. A love that absorbs pain, a love that is willing to be wronged or unfairly treated for the good of someone else. When someone hurts you, you refuse to retaliate. Instead, you absorb the blow and you respond with compassion and kindness. We absorb pain as Christians. We absorb it. Now, many of you have been genuinely wronged. Many of you have been genuinely hurt, sometimes by your brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do you love that person who has genuinely hurt you? Well, if you're going to love them the way that God loves you, I'm calling you to absorb the pain. Absorb it. Take it in and swallow hard. And then react with compassion and kindness. The only way to absorb hurt like this is if you receive everything you need from Jesus. Hear me on this this morning. The only way to be a pain absorber like this is if you get everything you need from Jesus so you don't need anything from anyone else. Yes, you do need one another. But when they hurt you, it's not claiming something about your identity. It's not foundational to you. You can be hurt and absorb it and then respond with kindness and compassion if you receive everything you need from Jesus. Now, you guys might have seen this in the news recently, but over a year ago, there's a, a man named Botham Jean who was murdered in his apartment. Right? Uh, a police officer came into his apartment and killed him. Right? Now, to supercharge the case, turns out he was black and the police officer was white. And so there was a lot of racial tension going on right after this happened. And they wait, they wait a year, wisely, they wait over a year before the trial happens. But then the trial happens. And then, Botham's brother, Brant, takes the stand. And he looks Amber Geiger in the face. And he says, I'm not speaking for my family. I'm speaking for myself here. But I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, I forgive you. I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart that I don't want you to die and rot, that I want what's best for you. And if you ask God for forgiveness, He will forgive you too. And the best thing that you can do is give your life to Christ. And then He asks the judge, He just pleads with the judge, can I get, get up and give her a hug? Is that allowed? Is that okay? I don't even know. And it's, it's kind of awkward for a second because the judge is sitting there like, this could turn into a safety issue, right? But thank the Lord, she says yes, and then they embrace, and Amber Geiger, who has killed her, his brother, is, is just crying uncontrollably. And we're all crying uncontrollably. How in the world could Brant Jean do that? How could he look his brother's killer in the eye and say, I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, forgive you. I, I actually want what's best for you. How can you do that? The only way is if Jesus is meeting all of his needs. Is he getting everything he needs from Jesus? 
Otherwise, there's no way he could respond with such compassion and kindness. He had everything he needed in Christ, and you could hear it. His cup was overflowing. That's what that means. And so our love for God is a product. It flows out of God's love for us. Now, our passage also says our love for others reveals God to others. When we love others like God, we are revealing God to them. So look at verse 12. In verse 12, John says, this is the second time he says this in this book, no one has ever seen God, right? No one has ever seen God. By the way, if anybody tells you they saw God, walk the other direction, right? The Bible says no one's ever seen God. So, no one's ever seen God, so how do, how do we know God? Well, the main way that God reveals himself is through Jesus. He sends Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God, the Bible tells us. But there's also another way. The other way is, I can see God in you when you love me like God loved you in Christ. When, when I hurt you, because I'm human, if I hurt you and you absorb the blow and you respond with kindness... Now, all of a sudden, Amber Geiger's looking at Brant Jean, and he's saying, she, she's saying, so, so that's what God is like. Think about how powerful that is in trying to help bring someone to Christ. That's what God is like. And so we reveal God to others as we love them. Verse 20 says the same thing. At the end of verse 20, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, but the implication there is, since we can't see God, we can see Him, in a sense, in other people. We see God in our brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament often will call us, if you are in Christ, it will call you an ambassador. You are God's ambassador to the world. What does that mean? Well, in the United States, we have ambassadors to other countries. Right? And what happens when the ambassador goes to the other country? Well, that ambassador is expected to be the embodiment of the United States when he is out doing his work. Or more particularly, think of a nation with a king and queen. Right? The king says to the ambassador, you are me to them. Go be me to them. When they look at you, they should see me. So you only give them my message. You act fitting like an ambassador of the king would act. You don't do anything that would embarrass the king. You, you, you give them a picture of who I am. When the Bible says that we are ambassadors, God is calling us to be a representation of God to other people. This is clearly an example to me when I think of us parenting our children. Right, Parents, you are God to your kids. Not that they're going to worship you or they should worship you, but you are showing them who God is and what He is like by the way that you act. And so think about it. Are you teaching them that God is a tyrant who flies off the handle every time he gets annoyed? Or are you absorbing blows, responding with compassion and kindness, giving them a sense of grace and justice at the same time and a balance of those things? We are God to one another. We do not worship one another, but we represent, we image God in the way that we love one another. Now finally, let's look at God's love for us. This is the main point of the passage. God's love for us, verse 10. I want to center in on verse 10 here. 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. The center of Christianity is not our love for God. It's God's love for us. That is the center of our faith. That is everything it's built on. The center of Christianity is not that we love God. It's that He has loved us. Christianity is not about how much you can give to God or how devoted you can be to Him. In Psalm 50, verse 12, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God doesn't need you. God's purposes will go on just fine without each and every one of us, thank you very much. If I die tomorrow, the kingdom of Christ will march on. The end of the book of Deuteronomy, guess what happens? Moses, who seemed to be the most important man on the face of the earth up to that point. You know what happens? He kicks the bucket and they go on. That's what happens. Why? Because God is the main character. It's God's story, not Moses' story. God says, Joshua's going to slide right in here. He's going to do what you used to do. We're good. God doesn't need us. Christianity is not about how much you can give to God. In Acts 17, Paul says, He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He doesn't. If you remember David, David had this great idea during his kingdom, during his reign. He had this great idea to build God a house. To build a temple for the Lord. Great idea. David loves the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart. But God interrupts him. Prophet Nathan comes back and says, No, actually, David, uh, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. God was talking about the lineage that would eventually come through Christ. David's lineage would eventually lead to Jesus Christ. God says, You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. God says... You don't put me in your debt. I put you in my debt. Christianity is not how much you can give to God. It's about how much He has given for you. Christianity is also not a religion where God rewards good people. That's what most people out there think Christianity is. God rewards good people. Christianity is not that. It's not that God rewards good people. It's where God saves bad people. This is the gospel. Not that God rewards good people, but God saves bad people. Propitiation there in verse 10. Propitiation. It means the condemnation that was rightfully coming to me. I deserved eternity in hell, and Jesus took it so I wouldn't have to. That's propitiation. And so some people claim that God is love means he doesn't judge sin. But propitiation teaches us that that couldn't be farther from the truth. God's love is defined by him judging sin. You see that? People say that God's love means he doesn't judge sin. God's love is actually defined by him judging sin, propitiation. God's love is a love that takes sin seriously. God loves you so much, he was willing to pour out his own wrath on his only son. You hear that? God loves you so much. He was willing to pour out the full measure of the cup of his wrath, the full measure of his hatred for sin on his only son for you. That's how much he loves you. And that's why the love of God is underestimated. The love of God is so much stronger and powerful and costly 
than the world would lead you to believe when they say things like, God is love. Yes, God is love. Thank the Lord, God is love. God loves you more than you can know. Jesus loves you so much he was willing to experience the equivalent of an eternity in hell for you. That's right. Jesus experienced the equivalent of an eternity in hell suffering for us. Why? Because he took our place. He suffered what we had to suffer. And what did we deserve? Where were we going? What was, what was in our future? An eternity in hell. That means Jesus has to suffer the equivalent to take care of our punishment for us. He suffered the equivalent of an eternity in hell for you. That's how much he loves you. He stayed up on that cross. He could have come down. He could have lit all those people up with fire if he wanted to. He could have done whatever he wanted to to save himself from what he was going through, and he didn't. He stayed on that cross because he loves you so much. This is love. I'll end with this. I've never heard it put better than this. Tim Keller says, The gospel reveals that you are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you are also more loved than you ever dared hope. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Let's pray. Oh God, we believe that this morning. We believe that your love for us is extraordinary. It's beyond words. No one could come up with a love like this. No one could make this up. Only in Christ have we been loved with a love that is greater than anything that the world has ever defined as love. We praise you for that this morning. We thank you for it. Thank you so much for loving us with that kind of love. Father, help us to love one another with that kind of love. Father, help us to accept your love in our hearts. Help us to trust the love of Jesus. Help us to stake our eternity on it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.